Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's been described as a historic judgment. Yesterday, as three senior judges conferred at the High Court in London, families all over the country waited. The judgment they passed will have an enormous impact on children who want to change their gender. At the heart of this case is 23-year-old Kira Bell. She was 16 when she was prescribed puberty blockers after she decided to transition from being a girl to being a boy. It was a decision she later regretted. I definitely think there needs to be a stop to prescribing puberty blockers to minors under 18. It's so obvious you can't give a kid five appointments and then send them off to the endocrinologist. It's, it's crazy. Kira Bell took the clinic where she was treated to court because she believes she was too young to know what she was agreeing to when she underwent treatment. But there are others who believe puberty blockers can help some teenagers. They may even save lives. Going through puberty was really triggering self-harm. I wanted him to access gender specialists. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the Kira Bell case. Can a child decide if they should change their gender? This judgment is not political. It's about the protection of vulnerable children. It exposes a complacent and dangerous culture at the heart of the National Centre responsible for treating children and young people with gender dysphoria. Kira Bell sounded triumphant as she addressed the assembled media outside the High Court. Her supporters took to social media to celebrate the judgment. The hashtag #IStandWithKira was trending across the country. But for Kira herself, it was a bittersweet moment. It was a judgment that will protect vulnerable people. I wish it had been made for me before I embarked on the devastating experiment of puberty blockers. My life would be very different today. Kira Bell followed a course of puberty blockers with cross-sex hormones and a double mastectomy as she transitioned from female to male. Now, at the age of 23, she lives as a woman and fears that the treatments may have damaged her ability to have children. For her supporters, the High Court's judgment will protect vulnerable children from making the similar mistake. But in what is a highly charged and emotive debate, there will be others who will be disappointed that the process of transitioning just became a little harder for children. 
It's such a difficult area to report on because people feel so strongly on both sides. Sean Griffiths is the Education and Families Editor of the Sunday Times. She's followed the story for years and was watching closely as the High Court judgment came in. Well, it's a landmark judgment, certainly, and it does look as though the judges have backed Kira Bell because um, they are saying their conclusion is that a child under 16 can only consent to the use of puberty blockers if they're competent to understand the nature of the treatment. And then they go on to say that it's highly unlikely that a child aged 13 or under could give consent to the administration of puberty blockers, doubtful that a child aged 14 or 15 could understand and weigh the long-term risks and consequences. And even in respect of children aged 16 and over, they're suggesting that doctors might want to go to court in each case to get you know, legal consent to go ahead. So it's a very, very powerful judgment. We'll have more on the High Court judgment later, but to really understand the case, you need to understand the life and history of Kira Bell. So Kira is now a 23-year-old. I first came across Kira 18 months to two years ago. Sean spoke to Kira in early October, just before the hearings at the High Court began. I'd been writing a lot of stories around this whole phenomenon, really, of children in schools who were saying that they had been born in the wrong body. So I've been writing a lot about that and I've been talking to head teachers who are dealing with this issue and bringing in gender neutral uniforms and letting children change their names. And then I started to write about the Tavistock clinic, the gender identity clinic at the Tavistock, because some of these children who were presenting at school were being referred to the Tavistock by GPs, by teachers, by social workers, and some of these children who were going to the Tavistock, I learned, were then being referred for medical treatment to change their bodies. And Kira, when she was a teenager, she was a girl at a school where she wasn't very happy. Um, I started to kind of feel um, like something was wrong with me, basically, because I wasn't fitting into a box. That's Kira speaking to Sean on the phone. Uh, you know, comments from people at school, even in the home as well, regarding my gender nonconformity and, you know, the possibility of me being um, attracted to other women or other girls at the time. Mm -hmm. So that was always a red flag for other people. So it kind of made me go inwards and, you know, thought that something was wrong with me. So. And she started to look on the internet. And at that time, there wasn't very much on the internet about what's now called gender dysphoria. I came across transsexualism. I mean, I've, I've, I'd already heard about it, like most people, through the media and things like that, which has always been portrayed as just kind of, you know, gay men who transition as adults and that's it. And that was kind of the only thing that I kind of knew about. But once I found out that girls could also transition, I thought, you know, that must be what I need to do. It kind of made sense, all the you know, criteria for it, I ticked it off and I, I did eventually get the diagnosis. So obviously um, that did apply to me. Yeah. I, I came across like forums and information pages and stuff like that. And then I migrated over to like YouTube videos and things like that, of, like diaries of a few different women that were taking up transition. And she decided, I think, that she had been born in the wrong body and she would be happier if she was male. And... When she was about 14, she was referred to the Gender Identity Clinic at the Tavistock. 
This is the age when puberty kicks in, when lots of teenagers question their identity. They're trying to work out who they are and what they like. And from there, she went on to have puberty blockers when she was 16 years old. And these are drugs that suppress puberty. That's really the crux of the case at the High Court, specifically the use of puberty blockers. Kira started taking them at 16. At the time, she'd had a few meetings at the Tavistock Clinic alone. Not even her parents had been involved in the decision. Now, after the High Court judgment, a court would rule on whether puberty blockers should be used. And after that, she had cross-sex hormones. And then after that, she was referred to the adult clinic and she had a double mastectomy. A while back, she realised that the treatment she had gone through had not been, as she saw it, the answer to her issues. And she wanted to detransition. But not only did she want to detransition, she wanted to stop what had happened to her happening to any other children. And so she has taken a legal case. Her challenge essentially is that she couldn't have given informed consent for this, that the consent she gave when she was 16 was not informed. The idea of informed consent is central to this case. Can someone under 16 consent to an experimental treatment that will have such a huge impact on their adult life? The Tavistock argued that puberty blockers are reversible. Kira disagrees, and the court decided that it was just too soon to tell what the long-term effects would be. I definitely think there needs to be a stop to prescribing puberty blockers to minors under 18. It's so obvious you can't give a kid five appointments and then send them off to the endocrinologist. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's sad that, you know, people that aren't gender conforming are being, you know, pushed one way or another down this route. As a teenager, Kira didn't feel she was conforming. But in that difficult and emotionally charged period, was she in a position to give informed consent? For Kira, the process began with a conversation at home. Well, she talked to her parents. She talked to both her mother and her father. And her father was very hostile to the whole idea. Her father took her to the Tavistock for her first appointment. Yeah, he, he had to, well, you know, he didn't have to, but, you know, he needed a way of getting down there and he, he said he would. But I think he drove me down there with the idea that, you know, they were going to counsel me, you know, through yeah. it and, and out of it, basically. He didn't. he didn't know about medical transitioning. According to Kira, I think she thought that he thought they would just sort of talk her out of this. But what she says is that when she went to the clinic, she says she saw a social worker as opposed to a psychiatrist. And that, to a certain extent, she was reaffirmed in her view that she was in the wrong body and she could embark on this course of medical treatment. Throughout the whole process, it kind of felt a bit dissociative, really. I was stuck in kind of tunnel vision, you know, I was told that this was going to help me basically whether it's you know through the internet or even just the fact that the Tavistock just allowed me to run with that idea there was no discussion of it so it, it kind of I guess it reinforced the idea that yeah this is what I'm meant to do 
She said she was given five appointments before she was referred to the endocrinology clinic, which is where the drugs, the, the puberty blockers are prescribed from. And she feels that was not long enough. I think she feels that she wanted somebody to sort of challenge her views. Because it sounds like her father did that a bit. Yes, but I think to a certain extent when your parents do mm. oppose you when you're a teenager, and many teenagers then even more inclined to to pursue the path they're on. You know, it's kind of part of that rebellion against your parents, which is all part of establishing independence. And you talked about her father hoping that the clinic would talk her out of it. And she clearly carried on with the process without his backing. How much support was she getting at home? She left home, actually. She went to live with her father at one point. By the time she was 17, she wasn't living with either of her parents. Shortly after my 17th birthday, I went to live in a youth hostel. Um, So... I was kind of living on my own at that point. So Kira went ahead with the treatment and began to take puberty blockers. So it's it an injection. injection. I think it was every 12 weeks, the puberty blockers. Right, so you had to go back to the hospital and have this injection. Uh, they basically, uh, they they talk to my GP and say, look, we've we've prescribed this for um, for this patient. Could, yeah. you, um, could your nurse is there at the GP? Um, yeah. Yeah. gives the injection so that's how that worked and did your gp um, ever question this did they did you ever see your gp did they no no mm. i think like doctors like doctor surgeries and stuff i think they basically they just assume understandably they yeah. assume that you know the gender identity clinics are, are doing their jobs properly because they're yeah. considered you know yeah. like a specialist team I was on the puberty blockers for two years in total. And the, that first year when I was just taking it on its own, it was, yeah, it was a massive, massive change because I was just having hot blushes and um, basically going through like a female menopause mm. and uh, concentration yeah. issues and, mm. and brain fog and bone uh, density was decreasing. And yeah, it was just a, a lot of lot of issues like that. There was no real benefits to it at all besides, I guess, stopping my periods. Um, and then the second year of the puberty blockers, that's when they started injecting the, the cross-sex hormones, the testosterone. So how old um, were you then? I would have been 17. Right. Yeah. So you were having, on top of the puberty blockers, you're also having injections of cross-sex hormones at the age of 17? That's right, yeah. Right. The judgment from the High Court was based on the use of puberty blockers. It wasn't about the further treatments that Kira underwent, like the use of cross-sex hormones. So, you know, obviously the fact that testosterone was now introduced, now the fact that I have some type of, you know, sex hormone in my body, it was obviously letting up on the menopausal symptoms. Mm. I just remember... I think it it was fairly gradual within within the first few months. You don't notice changes immediately, mm-hmm. and then they just kind of spring up somewhere around four or five months, and then you have like genital changes, and the voice will start to drop and mm-hmm. get more oily and acne and mm-hmm. things like that. So you know, in some ways, would be similar to uh, young boys going through puberty. Mm. She said that she was really eager for the change to happen. She wanted it to happen. She thought everything would be all right once it did happen. And then when she was referred to the adult clinic, she had a double mastectomy. She says even then there wasn't enough counselling. You know, something as major as a double mastectomy, she doesn't feel she had enough counselling for. And she was so focused on, on transitioning. And she thought that once she had transitioned, she'd start living her life. And at what point did doubt start to creep in? 
after the double mastectomy, she got very depressed. And I think she felt, well, this isn't the solution. This isn't sorting anything out for me. I don't want to continue with any more treatment and wanted to go back and try and undo some of it. At the start, I was very eager for the changes to happen. It wasn't until like a year after my double mastectomy, a few years later, that I started to question things and, and question how I got to that stage and, and why. You did ask her what she would advise young teenagers who were going through something similar. What did she say? She wants children to understand that if you're a woman or you're a man, if you're a girl, if you're a boy, you don't have to conform to any stereotypes. You can be the most masculine girl. You can be the most effeminate boy. That you don't need to actually, you know, try and change your body. She wants to get that across to children. Not to worry when you're growing up that you don't fit in, that you don't conform to the stereotype of your gender. That that is just a social stereotype and it's elastic and it's changing And you can live the way you want to live in the body you were born in. This whole subject is one that provokes intense debate. One view, and a view that Sean shares, is that we don't know enough about the long-term effects of children transitioning. Another is that we risk condemning children to years of depression and worse if we don't let them change their gender to one they're more comfortable with. This is my own personal view, but, you know, I just think probably more safeguards, more research, more care needs to be taken over this. The Tavistock actually sent me some figures, and they have about 2,700 referrals a year, which is a huge number, of under 16-year-olds. And the youngest child who was referred to them was four years old. A four-year-old questioning their gender identity. I mean, I found that utterly four. extraordinary. Four, yeah. I also found, to be honest, I found some of the figures for the youngest child who has been referred for puberty blockers, this drug treatment that Kira had um, that suppresses your puberty, was 10. That's very young. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You can get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free on a digital subscription. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Kira Bell felt she was too young to make judgments that have now changed the course of her life. But others would argue that there's a strong case for starting young. If you want to change gender, then puberty is a key milestone. Doctors at clinics like the Tavistock say that if a child is experiencing gender dysphoria, then going through puberty, with all the hormones and complications it brings, can be psychologically difficult. So my son first came out as being transgender almost five years ago when he was 14. That's Joe. She's the mother of a young transgender man who was treated at the Tavistock, and she takes a very different view to Kira Bell. It's been a very difficult journey for the family. I think now he's in a really positive place, progressing with his life and, and just being the incredible son that he is, and he is happy and he's thriving. He's getting the right levels of support and healthcare. He's going to college and he's got a really bright future and he's doing really well. And can you describe, I mean, what what was he like as a young child? What was life like for him before the age of 14? So I think when he was a young child, it was very common for him to be misgendered. And I think from a very early age, people often thought he was a little boy. And I think that in itself was sometimes quite difficult for him. Was that because of appearance or behaviour or interest? I don't know. Do you know that's such an interesting question? Um, in so many different places, out and about in public, in shops and in cafes, and when people would either talk to him or, or, or talk about him, even to the extent that sometimes people would say if we were out in a shopping centre, oh, he's too old, he can't come in women's toilets. And it's like, oh, well, you know, he's, at that point, he, he hadn't identified as male. And the same in changing rooms, in shops, people would either comment or address him as he or talk to me about your son. So that did actually, I think that was quite perplexing at times for him. What was it like for you? Did you, did you sort of have questions about gender back then? I think and we, he and I have had this conversation that at the point at which when he was young and he was living as a girl, my view was that he would probably come out as being a lesbian at some point. And actually he did initially. That was when he first thought, oh, you know, am I female? Am I gay? So there was some exploration on his part and there was some really just not quite knowing what was right for him. I don't quite know what that, why that's not right. It's not about who he's attracted to. That didn't resolve any of those feelings for him. He did some more thinking and exploration himself. And then he actually came back and said, actually, I'm, I'm a boy. Did you ever have any doubts when, when, when he came to you and said, I, I feel like I should be a boy? Did, was, was there any part of you that thought... Are you sure? Is this part of the journey? Is this really the Do end? You know, for me, it made absolute sense. I think, really? and, and, yeah, I kind of looked at him and, and uh, there were loads of questions in my head, like, what does that mean? Oh, my goodness. But actually, it so much made sense. And I thought, yes, that really, that really, 
you know, make sense to us. And, and yeah, but then was like, wow, what next? And was it sort of immediately apparent that he, he wanted to transition? He wanted to sort of take it further? What were the conversations that, like then? Well, you see, that's, that's, I mean, I think that's where so much misunderstanding is because, you know, that in itself, I don't think that's quite how I'd frame it because, you know, I think somebody just gets to the point where they recognise they've got a different gender identity, then I suppose his first decision was to start living in that gender identity as male. Now, actually, we could have just stopped at that point. He could have said, I'm male. I said, I understand that. And and, and then, you know, there we go. I think when you're talking about transitioning, you, you I think a lot of people are talking about a medical pathway that I think less than half of all trans kids go down a medicalised route. And you know, certainly in those early stages, we hadn't really thought about any of the things that might happen or, or any choices that he might want to make. At what point did you all feel comfortable having a conversation about it being a medical process? I think initially we didn't think about it in terms of a medical process at all. And I think that it's not uncommon, I think, for transgender children to experience mental health problems and to struggle with anxiety and depression and obviously experiencing that gender dysphoria. So my son did experience some difficulties and school referred him to the child and adolescent mental health service because he was self-harming. So we managed to get a really quick referral into child and adolescent mental health services CAMS. He saw a most incredible therapist. And after about weekly, he, or I think he was seeing them a couple of times a week because he was in, in such turmoil. And the point at which he then very quickly said, this is what's going on for me. They then made a referral to the Tavistock. And we had a, a lengthy wait. Our wait was nine months to get a referral to gender specialists. Now I think it's in excess of two years, perhaps even closer to three years to get that very first appointment. So the people he was getting support from were not gender specialists. They were really helping him manage his anxiety and depression and self-harm and, and, and suicidal ideation. And, and he did make a number of suicide attempts. Really? Uh, and Yeah. And at, at one point he was also hospitalised. How, how, how old was he when he was doing that? 2016. That was from the end of 2015 into 2016. So he was, yeah, 14, 15, 16. I think 15 was probably his hardest year. I mean, that must have been incredibly hard for you too. Uh, yeah, I think it, it was. And... Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was incredibly difficult, and I think I really struggled to keep him alive during that point. And I think, in spite of being supportive and trying to be understanding, the things that were going on in his head, and you know, he was bullied out of school at that point, and the school did turn to him and say, "We don't think we can keep you safe here." What I wanted to happen for him was him to see a gender specialist who could help because mm. we hadn't talked about medical interventions of any sort at that point. Having periods and going through puberty was really triggering self-harm. So I think a lot of it was the gender dysphoria and managing that. So kind of he self-harmed every month when he had a period, which oh. was, was, you know, and actually there are lots mm. of people who manage that side of things really well and don't find it as distressing. So I think it, I wouldn't assume that, that, you know, our experience is universal. I wanted him to access gender specialists who could support the whole thing, really. Once we actually got referred to the Tavistock, we had a very thorough assessment. They do not 
in my experience, do not push a particular route. It's very much about why do you think you're transgender? What does that mean for you? At no point did we find we were directed in, in any way. So we had a lengthy period of counselling and then, you know, started to, to think if a medical route was the thing for my son, what that might look like. And I think, you know, in terms of being distressed about some of the aspects of puberty, hormone blockers buy you time. They don't change anything. They just pause whatever hormones do in puberty. It just stops it. It's reversible. If you stop taking hormone blockers, puberty would start again. And I think there's a massive misunderstanding about that. The Tavistock have always argued that hormone blockers are reversible. But the High Court judgment noted that it's impossible to know what effect stopping that period of biological and social development in your adolescence might have in the long run. Why was it so important to get puberty blockers? How did it change his life? And what what made you think, you know, this is a good time to do it? I think because he was struggling with the biological aspects of puberty, is his chest developing, with his body becoming curvy. I think that was incredibly distressing for him. So hormone blockers can pause that and it gave him that space to have that counselling, that therapy to kind of really explore those gender identity issues that were happening for him and, and make some good informed decisions. And I think it's really important that you know the the person experiencing those things like the the children and young people are included in that decision making process because it is affecting their bodies their lives their health their futures and I I don't think even as a parent I'm, I'm a really important part of that conversation I don't think it rests with me solely. You know, we listen to a lot of the, the medical advice. They give you advice about fertility. They give you advice about sex. At every point, I think it was very clear that if we didn't want to go down any routes, there was no pressure in any sense to go down a particular route. You know, the later stages then is to decide to take cross-sex hormones, which then do make those changes. But from the point at which we had that first referral to getting the first Prospect hormone treatment for us, my son, was 33 months, almost three years. So, you know, there is a perception things happen quickly. It doesn't happen quickly. I think, you know, I can't stress that enough. It, it's very slow process. Was there sort of ever any talk about what if you change your mind? Absolutely. No, there's, I mean, everything, our experience is that every base was covered. So they're very clear about parts of treatment that are reversible and things that may not be. Part of the case here comes down to the idea of informed consent Mm. and whether as somebody, you know, below the normal age of consent for, for many other bits of the law, are they in a position to really know their mind? How, I mean, how did you feel about that? Yeah, I think that's a really established principle, though, that we have in this country in law, that children and young people can consent to medical treatment where it's deemed they have the intelligence or the competence, the understanding, and they can understand the information necessary to consent. They understand what is happening in their treatment. So that's for all children. And that's a really established principle in this country in law that that, the children young people where they can consent should be involved what joe's describing there is what's known as gillick competence 
It's a legal precedent that allows children under the age of 16 to consent to their medical treatment without their parents, as long as they're capable of understanding the treatment and its implications. Joe and her son say the services they received from the Tavistock were excellent. Joe's only complaint is that the waiting times are too long. Yet Kira Bell argued the opposite in court. She'd like the process to slow down and for a court to give permission before a child can undergo treatment. I put that to Joe. I don't think you need an additional obstacle of a court decision to go into that. I think that would make the, the process even lengthier and more complex than it is. So I think that lengthening that waiting time doesn't do anything. You, you're just you're struggling in the dark. For Joe's son, post-treatment, life has got much better. I think we're now at the point and, you know, he can look back on the last few years and, you know, he's now at the point when he can start looking for the rest of his life and, and that, that being transgender is just one really small aspect of who he is and all his many talents and skills and, and attributes, I think, you know, make the world a better place because he's in it. And what does the future hold for Kira? Well, she has a partner now. Uh, she's in a relationship. She's not working at the moment. She doesn't have a job. She is thinking about what kind of job she would like. Once this case is done, then I, I think she will be able to kind of move forward. I just think she sees this as a big, as a big thing that she wants to do. Although the case is over, there may yet be an appeal. A spokesperson for the Tavistock and Portman NHS Foundation Trust said, We are disappointed by today's judgment and we understand that the outcome is likely to cause anxiety for patients and their families. Our first duty is to our patients and we're working to provide support for patients concerned about the impact on their care. We're seeking permission to appeal the judgment. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and our guests, Kira Bell, the Sunday Times Education and Families editor, Sean Griffiths, and Joe, the parent of a young transgender man. You can read more of Sean's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers were Katie Gunning, Leona Hamid, and James Shield. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. If you can, please do leave us a review. If you'd like to get in touch with any story ideas or any thoughts on what you've just heard, you can email us at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.